Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This is our final message in our As We Go series where we've been learning about what it means to biblically be the church. And our associate care pastor, Joshua Masters, is wrapping things up with a message on Jesus's compassion. You can find additional resources and our message archives on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Welcome back. Hey, before we get started this morning, uh, an important question came up about last week's message, something that came up in last week's message. And unfortunately, I don't have time to address it as fully as I would like to. So just, I want you to know that in regards to when JC said that Superman was better than Batman, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have time to go into it. So I'm just gonna ask that you go ahead and pray for him. Hey, today we come to the end of our series on what it means to be the church. And uh, the As We Go series really has been one long message with each week being a point in the larger sermon of the message. And the reason for that is if we really want to be the church, we can't focus on just one of the aspects that we've talked about. In order to truly be the church, we need to focus on all four things that we covered. If we fall short in any of them, we can't truly be the church. Week one was our first point in the greater message. The mission of the church as a whole. We have a purpose as one body. We have been commissioned by Christ for a purpose and a mission that should be reflected in everything that we do. Are you living a missional life? Being the church requires living a commissioned life. That's at the top of your outline for today. Being the church requires living a commissioned life. And then in week two, we talked about having a love for one another in the church. Having unity in our purpose, growing together, worshiping together, caring for one another, digging into scripture together. And I want to echo something that we said in that message because it's very, very important to today's message. You must be in community with other believers. Otherwise, when you try to go out into the world for Christ, the world will have more influence on you than you will have on the world. So being the church requires unity in community. Unity in community. Then last week, JC talked about the third point the need for us to contribute to that community with our gifts, our attitude, our perspective, and our resources. Being the church requires contribution to the body. Contribution to the body. Now these three components of being the church have been very challenging for me. Have they been challenging for anyone else? And I think that if you go back and listen to those messages, you might discover that any one of them seems impossible to live out in a truly sincere way, let alone trying to participate fully in all three. So how do we maintain a sincere focus 
on our mission, proclaiming the gospel to a broken world in the way that we live our lives, building unity within the church, building a community of selfless and joyful partnership within the church, and contributing everything to the success, purpose, and needs of the body. How do we do that? The answer is in our fourth and final key point this week. Being the church is only attainable when we develop the same love for others that Christ showed for us. Being the church requires consuming compassion. Not occasional compassion, not convenient compassion, not momentary compassion, but a consuming compassion that directs the motive behind every action, every word, and every thought in our lives. Without a consuming compassion for others, nothing that we do in the church is going to bear fruit. Not really. JC introduced us last week to Corinthians 13 uh, when he talked about our attitude in the church. Let's look at that and then move a little bit further in the passage. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Remember JC talking about that last week? And then we continue. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't have love for others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I'd have gained nothing. Many of us have read this passage over and over and over, and even more of you have heard it a million times at wedding. The next verses uh, tell you what love is and is often read at weddings. But what does it really mean for the church? The church as a whole. Let's highlight what's actually being accomplished in this passage. Now, if we heard of a church and we knew of a church that had people in the church that could speak all the languages of earth and angels, and they had people who could prophesy and that they possessed all knowledge. And if, and if this church had faith that could actually move mountains, and we found out that this church was giving everything to the poor, and some of them were even sacrificing their bodies. If we heard of a church like that, we would say, that's a pretty incredible church. But look what it says. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I would be nothing. Look, we can learn to go through the motions and probably even do some good in our community by going through the motions of doing the actions that we've talked about in this series. But if it's not motivated by consuming compassion, if it's not rooted in love, we've gained nothing. Condemnation doesn't draw people to Jesus Christ. Love does. Programs don't draw people to Jesus Christ. Sincerity does. And sales pitches and tracks do not draw people to Jesus Christ, but compassion does. Love is the mission of the church. Look how Paul describes that mission. He says, Christ's love controls us. We're controlled by Christ's love. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old self. He died for everyone 
so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And so we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Is every action in your life controlled by the love of Christ? Or do you still see others from a human view? Because make no mistake, this living for Christ means living for others above yourself. We are given new life for a purpose. Skip down to verse 18, same passage. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciliation, of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Notice that word plead. Our message to the world is not a threat, it's a plea. We are to be controlled and compelled by the love of Christ. The mission of the church is to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring Jesus' life to a world that doesn't offer any hope. So it's not enough for us to have love for one another. We need that, but that's not enough. We must develop a love for the people that we don't agree with, the same consuming compassion that Christ had for us. Jesus said this, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? For even the pagans do that. No, you, you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're expected to love differently. We're expected to love deeper and more sincerely. But if we're honest, our love and our compassion is often fleeting. We let our programs and our tasks and our schedules and our television shows and our football to get in the way of our compassion. Love is a decision, but it is not a light switch. We need to develop compassion for this broken world and for one another. Some of us need to start in our own families before we can take it out into the world. So how do we do that? How do we develop the same sort of compassion that Christ has shown us? On page two of your outline, let's look at three ways that we can move together to develop this consuming compassion. The first and the most important, this is the most important, make sure you catch that. Consuming compassion is developed by seeking Christ's heart. A moment ago, we read how Paul described the mission of the church. You know what else he said in that exact same passage? He said this, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us 
so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Listen, you can serve in ministry your entire life and never develop a heart for those who are broken. You can work in ministry your whole life and never develop a heart for the people who don't know Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about being transformed to be more like Christ. Ephesians 4, uh, Romans 8, Romans 12. We talk about it all the time. But if we want to be transformed to be more like Christ, then we must also love like Christ. I think many of us still interpret that Christ-likeness to mean that we become less sinful. And that's certainly part of our transformation. It's certainly important that we become less sinful. But if we're going to be like Christ, we have to recognize that Christ's greatest attribute is love. And we cannot be like him if we do not have his love for others. We must seek to develop Christ's heart of compassion. It's all throughout scripture. God is an emotional God. Not weak. Don't confuse emotion with weakness. God is not weak. And his his emotion is not unjustified. It is an emotion that is sincere and rooted in love for people. The people that he created. Jesus felt and he still feels deeply for people. We, We see him feel such anguish at Gethsemane that his sweat is like drops of blood. We see him weep for the people of Jerusalem. We see him weep at the loss of his friend. Jesus had a deeper compassion for the fate of others than most of us allow ourselves to have. In fact, look at Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I wouldn't advise that you develop your compassion for people by going up to someone at work and saying, hey, Ted, you look like a confused, helpless sheep. Let me, uh, let me befriend you. That's, that's not the right heart and it won't be well received. Don't, don't hashtag as we go that. Don't, don't do that. Look, we don't like the adjectives in this verse. But if we're honest, isn't this the state of our world? People are wandering around looking for fulfillment and answers in a world that doesn't offer them any. People look to the affirmation of internet fame or self-empowerment or possessions or even the government for provision and significance, but all those things come up short They come up empty. Most people wander through this world with continual and consuming anger, fear, or sadness because to them, hope means just getting through this day. Or at best, at best, it means leaving a legacy after they die. But even that falls short. Because deep down, and I've had to deal with this too, 
deep down we all know that everything man does turns to dust. Every legacy we leave is eventually lost to history. Many people don't even recognize the pain that they're carrying around because it's all they've ever known. To them, success is just an unintentional rebranding of their fear. And some of us in this room are still living that way. God doesn't want that for you. Is your definition of success just a rebranding of your fear? But there are other, others of us in this room who have developed a bitterness for the world in its pain. There are others of us who scowl at it, resenting the brokenness of the world instead of being moved by it. But Jesus saw the world fraught with pain and it moved him and it moved him to action. When we read Jesus had compassion, we usually just sort of skim over that word. Let's highlight compassion. We skim over that word and we interpret it to mean that he felt like helping them that day. But it's so much more than that. In his 1914 Christmas Eve sermon, Charles Spurgeon pointed out that this word compassion did not exist in the classical Greek language. The gospel writers had to invent this word because there was no word in the known language that could convey the depth of emotion that Jesus was feeling. An emotion so deep it was visible to the disciples for them to record. This was not a passing feeling of wanting to help someone. This was consuming compassion. It was a cry from his innermost body that could not be hidden. It could not be denied. And he could not refuse to act. We see it again in Matthew 20 when Jesus encounters the two blind men. We see it in Mark when he encounters the lepers. And when he encounters the gentleman who was consumed with a demon. We see it again in Luke 7, 13, when the widow's son died. We see it again when he feeds the multitude over and over again, an overwhelming and emotional response to the suffering and eternal fate of others. Is that the heart you have for people who are hurting and without hope? If not, ask God to give you his compassion. Take on the prayer that we heard in the song that we sang this morning. Pray to God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Make everything that I am for your kingdom's cause. Teach me how to love like you have loved me. Make that your life prayer. Ask him to let you see others through his eyes instead of through your own eyes. Ask him to let you see people through his eyes instead of through the way the world sees them. Seek his heart. 
In another way, Jesus will build that compassion in you is if we're willing to honestly reflect on the compassion he's shown us. Consuming compassion is developed by remembering my own brokenness. It was Christ's compassion that called you out of the darkness. It was Christ's compassion that rescued you. Do you remember that? Do you remember what he pulled you out of? Or have we become so comfortable in our faith that we feel entitled to our salvation? Jesus didn't come for you because you were less broken than other people. Jesus didn't come despite your brokenness. Jesus came because of your brokenness. Look at Romans 5. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with what? His love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Listen, we cannot develop a passion for those who need God's grace if we have forgotten our own need for it. This is a difficult prayer. It may be a dangerous one, but ask God to show you who you are without him. Ask him to show you your eternity without his grace. And then, then you will see the pain of this world with new eyes. Listen, let your identity be rooted firmly in who you are with Christ. But let your compassion be always motivated by who you were without him. Do you remember what he saved you from? Do you remember what's coming? I want everybody to turn to this passage. Grab your Bibles. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. It's on page 955 if you have the Bible that we use in the bookstore. If you're using a phone or a tablet, it's easy to find. 2 Thessalonians 1.7. I'm going to wait for you to get there. I want you to hold it. I want you to see it. I want you to interact with it. Nine fifty-five on the church Bible. Second Thessalonians, starting in verse seven of chapter one. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. When the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. 
we don't like this verse, do we? See, we don't, we don't think much about heaven because we can't imagine the glory of it. And we don't think much about hell because we can't fathom the consequences of it. It's so much easier for us to just stay focused on the here and now. But we cannot develop a consuming compassion for the world without reflecting on the greater truth of eternity. Yes, God is love. God is filled with grace, but those two things are only valuable if he's also just. God is perfect. God is holy. He cannot commune with sin. And so the consequences of sin is separation from him. But look at the next verse. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people. Praise from all who believe. And this includes you. For you believed what we told you about him. Now keep that open for just a moment. Keep that open for just a moment. That includes you. That is grace. That is grace. The church has largely moved away from, you know, the, the old style of what they call fire and brimstone preaching. And as a whole, that's good because it was mostly emotional manipulation. But as we study and as we look towards God's grace, we must not forget that fire and brimstone is coming. God is just. But the Father allowed his son to take that punishment for you. Jesus himself willingly left heaven, a perfect place where he was already being worshiped. He left that to come for you. The compassion that we've been shown by God should be the source of our compassion for other people. Look at the verses in your hand. Don't, don't look at me, look at them. Verses seven through 10. How can we live in the promise of verse 10 without being moved to compassion for the people still facing verse nine? Hell is not the message of the church, but it needs to come to a place where it is the motivation of the church again. But here is the sad truth, and this is my fear for me. It's my fear for the church in America that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has become a cliche. It no longer affects us as it should. There are no words left in the English language that can properly convey to you how much compassion Christ had for you when he came. And so because there are no words, we must ask God to reveal it in our hearts. 
We must return to the place where we are desperate for God's grace in our lives. We must return to the place where we are desperate to see the grace of God in other people's lives. Look at Paul's perspective. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of all of them. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Remember, Paul actually participated in killing Christians. But God used his story and the story of his transformation to draw others to the kingdom. God used Paul to spread Christianity across the entire known world, and Paul got to participate in that because he never forgot what he had been forgiven of. And he inherited Christ's love for those who had not experienced that grace yet. And that's your purpose too. But you can't develop a compassion for people that you're never around. So write this down. True compassion requires proximity. True compassion requires proximity. So in your outline, consuming compassion is developed by building intentional relationships. We must build intentional relationships that are sincere and that have integrity with the people that we don't agree with or who don't agree with us. And we have to learn how to love them. You heard the verse from last week, Romans 12. Don't pretend to love people, really love them. You don't need to be an evangelist to influence the culture. The greatest witness for Jesus Christ is sharing who you used to be, but living who you've become. Your influence in the culture is based on living and loving differently. Remember that we are recommending this book as a supplement to the series, Surprise the World by Michael Frost. This will teach you simple ways to build relationships of integrity with people outside the church. Maybe you're not ready for what I talked about a couple weeks ago when the book recommends uh, sharing three of your 21 meals a week with other people, one with someone who is unchurched and two with people from within the church. Maybe you're not ready for that, but maybe you can bless someone with a random act of kindness. Maybe, maybe you can begin investing in the lives of others. Listen, this culture is so starved for authenticity that even the smallest gesture that is sincere and shows care for someone can transform someone's life. They've never seen it. But we need to be willing to become intentional in our relationships and we need to risk opening our hearts. You can't do work for the kingdom without risking pain. Jesus spent time with people 
And he was often criticized for the type of people he spent time with. Mark 2 is just one example of that. Make sure you don't miss this. Jesus Christ spent time with the people the church rejected. Jesus Christ spent time with the people that the religious people tossed aside. Don't be those people. He was willing to seek them out, spend time with them, and sincerely and truly love them. He had a compassion for those that the church didn't. Remember our verse from earlier? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's continue reading. Next verse. So he said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. End of chapter. Even before Jesus declared the great commission that we talked about in week one, Jesus was imploring the disciples to focus on the people who don't understand God's grace, who hadn't experienced the loving grace of God. And then that's where the chapter ends. And that's a very unfortunate chapter break. Remember, the chapters and the verses are not divine. They were added by man for reference, and that's very helpful. But this was a very bad break. Because it gives the impression that you can pray for harvest workers and be left off the hook yourself. But the very next thing Jesus does, he sends out the disciples themselves and he says, you go. Yes, pray for more workers, but you go. You go. You make disciples. You share the good news. You bring hope to the hopeless. And then pray that God will bring more people into the harvest. But do you know where those more people come from? The more comes from the people he sends us out to love. If we have seen change in our lives? Have you seen change in your life because of Jesus? If we've seen change in our lives and if we understand what we've been forgiven of and we understand the consequences of not being made new by Jesus Christ, how can we not be motivated to go out into the world? How can we not be desperate to build relationships with people like Jesus did? And you might say, well, I'm not Jesus. That's true. But this book says that if you've been born again, you've got Jesus Christ in you. This book says that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is inside you. And you can make a difference for the kingdom. Paul wasn't Jesus either, but he had a consuming compassion for a broken world. He said this, he said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He was overwhelmed with a desire to reach the world. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Now, I don't want us to read this passage like a lecture on evangelism because that's often how it's used. So I'm gonna read it from the message first. 
and I want you to focus on the emotion of it. I want you to see it in color. I want you to focus on the feeling Paul has for this broken world. He says in the message version, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose living, immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearing in Christ, but I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant, every sort of servant that there is in my attempts to lead those I meet to a God-saved lives. I did all this because of the message. I didn't want to just talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. And more literally, he says in this passage, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I became like the Jews so that I could save the Jews when I am with the Gentiles, when I'm with those who are weak, I become like those who are weak. I share in their weakness. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can that some might be saved. Paul is desperate to connect with people by any means necessary, short of sinning, but by any means necessary. He says, I will go where others won't go. I will serve those who others won't serve. I will meet them where they are. I will engage with them where they are. I will look for opportunities to build relationships with those I don't agree with. I will adapt to their culture while still living a Christ-filled life. I will not be influenced by the culture but I will freely and lovingly walk into it with the assurance and compassion of Jesus Christ so even a few might see the light of Jesus Christ. Consuming compassion. We must reach the culture where the culture is. That's why we've been changing the tone of our social media posts and using this hashtag in our series. And please do this week, use the engage section of your outline this week. But even moving beyond this series, reach out into the culture by engaging with people with social media with love and compassion and dignity. Show the world that we can love in a different way. Show the world that we can accept people and we can love people. Everyone deserves dignity because everyone was created by Jesus Christ. Every person reflects the image of God. And we dare not. Ignore that. It's time for the American church to stop seeing people in this world as our enemies and start seeing them as people who have been captured by our enemy, who have been enslaved by our enemy, who are being pursued by our enemy. We have to change our heart. You say, but Josh, I don't, I don't know anyone outside the church. My question is, do you want to? Are you willing? 
because people who need the hope of Jesus Christ are everywhere. And I have to tell you, if we're not seeing them, it's because we don't want to. The culture of Greenville is changing. The culture of South Carolina has been changing. The culture of the South has been changing. We can no longer afford to assume that everyone has been raised in the church. And we can no longer afford to assume that those who have, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The cost is too great. We must now be the body of Christ to a broken world. We have to go where we're not comfortable. Are you willing to be uncomfortable for Jesus Christ? Because compassion that costs you nothing is only pity. Compassion must cost you something. Listen. Easter is exactly three months from this weekend. And every year, Pastor Perry stands here and he asks you, who are you going to invite to hear the story of Christ's saving grace? And for too many of us, the answer is no one. Because we don't have relationships with people and we don't have a consuming compassion for the lost. What if, what if we spent the next three months being intentional in our relationships? What if we spent the next three months being kind and compassionate and sincere and showing dignity to people? What if we started interacting with people, not because we want to convert them, but because we have inherited the same love for them that Jesus Christ has? What if we truly love them and put them above ourselves? And what if these people what if they became willing to hear the gospel at Easter because you just spent the last three months showing it to them. What if we got to watch David Hardy run around crazy trying to figure out where to put everyone <laughs> and facilities had to set up chairs in the concourse because thousands of people were saying yes to our invitation because they saw Christ in you before they were invited to come hear about Christ. And what if, and what if, What if when that final day did come, the person you were willing to invest in was standing next to you? What if they were standing next to you before Jesus Christ instead of being lost? Oh, what a glorious reward. What a glorious reward. The greatest witness for Jesus Christ is you. And don't let the enemy tell you different. 
So we conclude this series with the same question that we started it with. Do you wanna be the church or do you wanna just keep coming to church? Because they're not the same thing. Do you wanna be the church? Raise your hand if you wanna be the church. Say, I want to be the church. Say, God, make me the church. Show me how to be the church. Stand up. If you want to be the church, it starts today. This is not the end of a series. This is the beginning of a movement. Don't stick, don't stick the notes from this series in the back of your Bible. Forget everything I said, but go through those scriptures. Go through them again and again and again. And let this be the beginning of you leading a life that is for something bigger than yourself. Come to the night of worship tonight. Experience the power of God's grace. Experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Engage with the Holy Spirit and then take that out into the world. You have a mission. You have a place in this community. You have something to contribute. We are in a foreign land. And God wants to make a difference with you. And he will. If we pray for consuming compassion. Let's pray. Father God, break our heart for what breaks yours. Teach us how to love. Teach me how to love like you've loved me. Let everything that we are be for your kingdom's cause. Lord, we don't know how to glorify your name, so I pray that you would teach us. Teach us to praise you. Praise us to reflect you. Praise us to be your church. Teach us to be your church. We ask this in your name. Amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.